Psalm 37, verse number 8. The Word of God says this. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any ways to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, they shall diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would give me strength. I pray you protect my voice this morning. Help me, Lord. I need your strength, as always. And Lord, I pray as we look into this topical message this morning, as we think about anger, and pray, Lord, you would help us all to, to deal with something that we all face at times in various different ways. But Lord, we know what your word says, so you pray that you would help us in this. Pray that you would help us to be honest and open as we look at the scriptures this morning. We pray that we would see who you show us from your word. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us would receive the treatment that you offer through your word and your spirit as you promised to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we but surrender to you each and every day, walking forward in faith. So Lord, will you help us this morning? I pray that this message would be pertinent, that it would be timely, that it would be needed. And I pray, Lord, most of all, above all, that it would be applied when we leave this place as citizens and ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. So there was an article ran in Facebook isn't working. Why? It'll just take time. Don't worry. Did you hit start streaming? Yeah, just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, CIT, honest to goodness. Anyway, don't get angry, Kevin. Because here's the message. Calm. In a newspaper. Newspapers don't fail, thankfully, because they're made of paper. But a newspaper article many years ago run, run, run an article called Better Temper Than Temper. And it was about anger. And basically it was asking um, some questions about how people react. Now, it was a secular newspaper. But that said, it was asking the two questions. Basically, is it better to let off steam or is it better to hold it in and suppress it? And the way they were coming at it, they were looking at it, is that if you let off steam, that it will reduce your blood pressure and uh, calm you, you know, get it out, really, is what they were saying. So the question they're posing, is it better to do that? Or were they saying, is it better to suppress your anger, which will actually raise your blood pressure, um, letting off steam might produce hostility in others because they might react the wrong way, um, suppressing uh, one's anger will reduce, uh, raise your blood pressure but prevent hostility. So there was a kind of a juxtaposition between the two things and they were asking the question. And so from a secular mindset, you know, thinking about that, we can apply that to people because people generally are one of two. And if I was to do a survey this morning and ask you, were you one that lets off your steam or are you one that keeps your steam? Are you... Uh, a boiler, or are you a bubbler? One of the two. Sometimes a little bit of both. Well, we know what you are, Cynthia. We know what you used to you are. Are you, what are you, Cynthia? Sorry. Are you? 
Oh, do you? Uh, oh, I'm always listening. Do you let off steam or do you keep it in? You let off steam. Claire's like that. Oh, I didn't see her there. So we're different, right? We're different. But we want to. As, as much as we can look at secular sources, we want to look at what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about anger? You know, and, and the question is there is this morning, are you angry? Because you may have come here this morning and you've got something suppressed. You may have come here this morning and you've spent last night letting some steam off. Who knows? Life can be hard. We are fallen people in a fallen world. And it can be difficult. And unfortunately, even those of us that are born again here this morning, that know the Lord Jesus, that we are new creations in Christ, there's still an old fleshly nature in there that sometimes raises itself up and boils over or bubbles away inside. But what does the Bible say? Because the Bible is the final authority. Do you believe that this morning, church? God's people said, Amen. It's a final authority. Now, we live in a world that's trying to rip that away within Christendom. The tradition's the final authority. The popular culture's the authority. But the Bible is the final authority. It is sufficient for faith and practice. God has it. He knows more about the human being than any world system. Why? Because he created the human being. He knows every inch of us. Every bit of us. He knows our hearts. So the things that people can't see, God always sees. And he sees our hearts and he knows us. So when it comes to human behavior, God is an expert in it because he knows it. He's seen it all. And the Bible does deal with anger. And that's what we want to do. We want to have a quick look um, this morning at anger. And I want you to bear with me. Some of the points I'm going to make, your hackles might go up and you might want to get in there. Bear with me until I get to the end. Let Let me land the plane, as it were. As we look through anger. So the first thing we want to do is is just take a quick examination of anger. Let's have a look from the Old Testament. Now the Old Testament, you know, again, we're not doing an in-depth because we don't have the time. But the New Testament does deal with anger in in, uh, many different places. Especially Proverbs. Proverbs, very healthy book to be in. Books of uh, wisdom and, you know, from people that have lived it. How to, how to you know, navigate this life in a godly way and also a practical way. But if I, turn with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes both deal with uh, anger quite a bit. So Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 17. Again, we're just snapshotting. Proverbs 14 verse 17 says, He that is soon angry deals foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. So there's a warning there about anger and its, its correlation with foolishness. And I'm sure that you can attest to that, that you've said some things in anger that really were foolish. Just me. <laughs> We've done it. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter number 7 and verse number 9. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, 
For anger rests in the bosom of fools. So again, the, the correlation there is that anger is associated with foolishness, that it's foolish behavior. And we read it in Psalm 37, didn't we? Cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. So you go into the Old Testament and you can take your own time to study it there. You'll see anger, uh, certainly from a human perspective, not we're dealing from God's perspective, but from a human perspective, is always usually associated with foolish action. What about the New Testament? Well, you get into the New Testament and it's clear from the teachings of Paul and others that anger is not compatible with the Christian disposition. An angry Christian isn't very Christian. <laughs> and I've met some angry Christians. My oh my. Now, we, we've got to be passionate about doctrine. Don't get me wrong. But there's a time and a place and there's a method to that. To do this in a right way. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later on. But, you know, I've been, I've been to, I do speaking meetings, engagement meetings around for PWMI and other things. And, yeah, I've met some angry Christians. Just angry at the world, at their lives, at the church, at other Christians. And that's their, just their entire disposition. If you were to sum them one, in one word, you'd say miserable. And then you'd have subcategories with anger in there. Just angry at everything. But the New Testament does not teach that. It doesn't teach it. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll get to Ephesians in our studies at some point. But if you go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Verse 31. Well, let's, let's, let's pick up from verse 30, actually. Verse 30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So here we have anger and wrath that are being replaced in the life of a believer with kindness and forgiveness. That's the teaching. We're to, we're to put off anger, wrath, and malice. Turn to Colossians chapter number 3 with me this morning. Colossians chapter number 3. Paul again says, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, Malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Again, put off these things. Get rid of these things. James tells us, doesn't he, to be slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. What's he mean? Slow to anger. Slow to react in an angry way. So we're to, we're to foster that type of an environment. The New Testament tells us there. Uh, if you turn to Ephesians 4.26 again. Paul says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So, here's the little thing. Is that although we're told to put off wrath, we're told to put off anger, 
there seems to be a little door for anger in New Testament teaching. You know, it's true we're to hate evil. No doubt about it. But when it comes to anger, you know, it is an emotion. But is there ever a place for it? Does the New Testament teach that there's a place for anger? Well, we look at the life of Jesus. Turn to John chapter 2, verse 13. Now this, for many of you, isn't a surprise. For some of you it might be, because Jesus, he's make, he's make, <laughs> he's mild and meek. This hippie type Jesus that we get presented in modern culture today. What happens? John chapter 2 verse 13. Here Jesus deals with the money changers in the temple. Verse 13 of John 2 says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. And when he made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The seal of thine house has eaten me up. So here comes Jesus into the temple. He sees that the, 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 the truth of God is being misused And he has a righteous reaction to that, an emotional righteous reaction to that. And what does he do? He gets a scourge, he gets a whip, puts it together. I'm getting attacked by midges. He gets a whip and and he attacks them and chases them out of the temple. Now, when you're, if you put yourself in that position, if you're going to take a, a whip and you're going to escort somebody from the premises from a whip with a whip and overthrow some tables, you're not going to do it like, excuse me, couldn't leave. Just, I know, I know, I don't like to do this, but you're going to have to leave because what you're doing is unacceptable. I know I've got this little whip, but that's just for show. I'm not going to use it. Not at all. Just, just excuse me while I just tip this table over gently. Nonsense. He's eaten up with zeal for his father's house. There's a reaction in there from the Lord that is righteous. There's nothing wrong in this. It's a righteous reaction from Jesus Christ. When you get to Matthew 23 and Jesus is pronouncing judgment upon the Pharisees, he's woe unto thee, woe unto thee. He's meaning that. There's an anger that is a rose. Not like human anger. Not like somebody's done something unto me. But the Lord reacts in a righteous way to the unrighteousness that is going around primarily when the name of the Lord, the Father, is being misused. Misused. We think about God the Father. We think about the wrath of God. Turn to Romans chapter number 1, verse 18. What I want you to see is that there is anger. But there's different types of anger or wrath. The words are interchangeable in the New Testament in the Greek, thymos and oge. 
Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Chapter 2, verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasured up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So with God, God is love. Absolutely, God is love. But God is also holy. And because of his holiness, he has to pour out his wrath against unholiness. That's who God is. That's who God is. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The phrase, God is good. For the believer, that's beautiful. For the unbeliever, that means they have to face his wrath. Because a good God, a good God, could not turn a blind eye to sin. So Jesus expresses some form of wrath or anger, whatever you want to call it. God is spoken about as one who is going to pour out wrath, God the Father. So how do we reconcile those passages that demand that anger be put off with those that speak of anger on the part of God, on the Son, and the believer in a righteous way. How do we reconcile those things and put them together? So let's quickly look at some examples of anger. Because like I said, there's a right anger and there's a wrong anger. The right anger, again, we spoke about this, the anger of God. It's it's always a right reaction, a justified, leveled, measured, judicial reaction to unrighteousness, to evil, to sin, whatever you want to call it. His wrath, or, or if we break it down to be simple, his anger is never misguided. Ever. Ever. With us, our anger is mostly misguided. Mostly misguided. Misdirected. This is either because of ignorance False presumptions, misunderstandings. You hear something, you take it the wrong way. And off you go and start to simmer a boil. There was a lady in Spalding. She'll probably not be watching this, so I can... I'll not name her, but I'll talk about her. (laughs) That Claire had posted something on Facebook. And she had put on something about... I think it was Ian Paisley's wife, who was was called Eileen. Isn't that right? Um, and I put like a testimony thing on. But this lady had seen something on Facebook. Seen the name Eileen. Thought, I'm called Eileen. Didn't read the post properly. And thought, she's saying something about me. Weeks passed before she even mentioned this. Until she finally confronted Claire. I was there, the referee. In the minute now. <laughs> she confronted Claire. And said... I have to get this off my chest. I'm really upset and annoyed with you because of what you said on Facebook. I may be paraphrasing, but this is the gist. Claire's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. Anyway, we worked it out. It was from this post. This anger that had been built up, completely misguided. Why? Because it didn't have perfect knowledge. Perfect understanding. There was assumptions made, as we do. They said this, and they meant that. All of a sudden feelings are hurt and then anger rises. God's anger is never misplaced. God's wrath is never misplaced. It's perfect. Ours is often misplaced. 
We get angry about the wrong things rather than the right things. Again, the anger of Christ in his example. Now, when Christ walked the earth, you know, you, you look about it and you think, oh, he's teaching the disciples. He is teaching the disciples. He's teaching all his disciples. And we look at his life and we watch how he perfectly, actively obeys the Father to show us what we're to do. Baptized. Walking. And that's, that's another thing I want to say. If you haven't been baptized, um, um, there are some uh, new converts and we want to look at baptizing and getting them baptized. So putting on a, a baptism class for them uh, sometime soon. So you know, think about that. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's setting the perfect example. Baptized. Commissioned in this ministry. Everything he's doing is teaching. So when Christ gets angry, and I know I'm dumbing down that phrase, and I don't mean sinful anger, I mean perfect anger, what is he teaching us there? When did he get angry? That's the question. When did he respond in that way? When did he react with that emotional reaction like we've seen in the, in the temple where he chased the money chasers out and he turned the temples upside down? When the name of the Father was being blasphemed, was being mocked. But he never reacted in that way when they reviled upon him. Never. Turn to 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 21. See, Christ was angry, but only for God's honor. That's the example that he sets. A holy anger against unrighteousness which is abhorrent to God. There's nothing of self-interest in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. For even hereunto where ye are called, because Christ also suffered for us, notice, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed to himself, or committed himself to him that judges righteously. When it was against God the Father, Christ displayed heavenly righteous anger. When it was against him personally, when he was mocked, when he was spat upon, when he was blasphemed, when he was called every name under the sun, he reviled not again. What an example that is for us this morning. What an example that is. This is the righteous anger, but human beings, we tend to, anybody says anything against us, we're up in arms. How dare they? How could they say that? But yet when sin is exalted and lifted up, even in our midst, we say nothing. But the minute somebody comes along and we feel that we've been done wrong, oh, I'm fuming. Can't believe what she said to me this morning in the church. Can't believe what he's just did. I'm absolutely raging. Man's anger, misplaced. But yet we can see somebody blaspheme and mock the name of the Lord 
and won't even raise a heckle on us. There's a righteous anger. That's the right anger. There's also a wrong anger. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. Verse 26. It says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. So here, here Paul's talking about anger. He says you're going to get angry. But when you get angry, don't be sinful in it. And certainly... Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. What's that mean? It means don't go to bed angry. <laughs> Who's good at going to bed angry? Oh. I, one, of the, one of the advantages of, of being in a relationship with a partner, when you're both those that like to get off your chest quite quickly, is you don't very often go to bed in your anger and count in one hand, really. There's been a few times, I'm not saying there hasn't, but usually, when we have our once-every-ten-year fight, <laughs> we, we usually have it out there and then, right? And then, you know, we say things that we don't mean, and whatever it is, and then we make up, we're fine. But the Bible says, don't, don't, don't go to bed on it, don't stew on it, don't let it fester. Notice how Paul ties it in with this thought. Verse 27, don't give place to the devil. So now he brings the devil in on this. He says, when you do this, when you get your anger wrong, when you go to bed in your anger, you're allowing the devil grind in your life. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Don't let anger remain and become settled. So to do that is sin. So again, Paul ties in this thought of, of anger. And there's an aspect of anger that's wrong. There's an aspect of anger that's, that's right. But whatever way, don't go to bed like that. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. So Paul, the Bible is, is pointing us in these examples of anger that there's a right and there's a wrong way uh, to go about things. So if it's, if it's wrong to be anger, angry in the wrong way and it's right to be angry in the right way, how do we get to that point where we're discerning and we're applying this truth? And, and really we want to deal with the eradication of anger. And when I think about the eradication of anger, I'm thinking about primarily the wrong anger. How do we deal with that? How do, how do we walk away today and have some steps or have some uh, goal and being able to change and, and, and move forward in who Christ wants us to be? We have to deal with it. We have to deal with it. And the first aspect of dealing with anything is acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. You have to see yourself for who you truly are. And we don't like that. The Word of God is a mirror. And when we get into the Word of God and when we study the Word of God, God will show us who He is, but He'll also show us who we are. And that hurts. So we have to acknowledge it. But when we've acknowledged it, what, what are we to do? And this is the process of sanctification. When a person becomes a Christian, a born-again believer, 
Change is now possible through change. The world can offer changes, but they're superficial, they're external, and, and really, they're not lasting. The change that God does is from the inside out. He renovates you. He changes you. That's the process of sanctification. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what? He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become or becoming new. That as a believer, you should be changing. That process starts at salvation. And that process, ultimately, when we go to be with the Lord, will be complete. But in between, we have this uh, time of sanctification, of, of, of self-reflection, but also service in the Lord. We need to be walking towards Him, understanding who we are and who He is. And that, that, that brings growth, that brings change. Turn to Romans 6, verse 17. Romans 6 tells us what we were and what we are. Romans 6, verse 17 I'll tell a lie, that's the wrong reference. No, I'm not, no, I'm not, hold on. Romans 6, verse 17, that is right. It says this, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. This is before Christ, before salvation. If you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord is your Savior, here's what the Bible says about you. You're a servant of sin. That sin has you and you don't realize it. And, and I, I, lo- I love um, Reformers Unanimous used to do this thing where they would sit somewhere down in a ch- chair and talk about the cords of sin. Get a little rope. And just tie it around loosely. Because people think they're free. You're not free, you're bound. You're a servant of sin. Little sin here, little sin there. And the rope goes round. And the more loops you do, the tighter it gets. But at the start, you don't realize you think you're free, but you're not. And as it goes round and round, you're enjoying your sin, more sin, more sin, more sin. And it gets to the point where you see it, and you want to get out of it. You can't, you're trapped. That's what the devil does. You're a servant of sin. The devil's your master. You have no choice in that. Verse 18 tells us, Being then made free from sin, the truth will make you free. I don't like the set you free. It's not like Jesus does a, a you know, middle of the night burglary, breaks you out of jail, Mission Impossible style. The truth, the word, the Logos, makes you free because he's sovereign and he's the only one that can do that. Made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. So there's the change. Before Christ, you're a servant of sin. After Christ, you are a servant of righteousness. You belong to him and you have a calling. That's your elect calling in him to be a a servant. But now you have a choice not to sin. Now you can do things in the spirit. Now you can do things for God's good and for God's glory that you could never do before as a servant of sin. Now you're a servant of righteousness and now you have to actually actively participate in that calling. Walk towards the Lord and he will change you and mold you and shape you. 
Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, your servant of righteousness. Present yourself as a servant of righteousness. That takes effort on your part. And here's the thing. God does this amazing transaction, this amazing change in you when you get saved. But the point of you growing in him, he will do if you do. Why is there so many angry Christians? Why is there so many people that deal with this? Their walk with the Lord is not what it should be. What do I mean by this? They're not serving him. Growth comes through service. Why do we have churches that are full of baby Christians that have never gone on to what the Lord truly has for them? It's not because the Lord's broke. It's not because the Holy Spirit can't do it. It's not because we don't have the instructions for it. It's simply the application of the truth of what it means to present your bodies a living sacrifice. We don't want to do it. But if you want to deal with the issues of the flesh, the old things that we're told to put off. Turn to Colossians chapter number 3. These things that we're told to put off, if we're to truly deal with that, it comes hand in hand with our surrender to be servants of righteousness, to walk with the Lord, to allow Him to change us and mold us and shape us. That takes work. We strive according to His power and in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3 verse 8, we should Put off. That's what it says. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Put those things off. Action. What did I tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ in his life? Perfect, active obedience. That's what he patterned. We're told to put off these things. Yes, in the strength of the Spirit. But that's the call for the people of God. Put off and put on. Verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, the corporate body, the church, holy, beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, love, agape, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. So the call is to put off and put on. This is the process of sanctification. Sanctification is God working in you, but also you working with God. You have to present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's your call. That's your charge. As a servant of righteousness. If you're saved this morning, that's who you are. And this is what you're called to. 
And when we do these things, the peace of God is upon us. We're going to have harmony. We're going to reduce anger. It's just going to happen. Why do we have so many angry Christians? Because we've got so many baby Christians. Stuck in the nursery. Because they're not growing. In the word. In their worship. In their service. And in their sanctification. It's not happening. But if we allow God to work, the transformation will take place. Now, add to that self-control. So there are mechanisms, little practical things that we can do to help with our anger. Now, this is interesting to me, and you know, we can look at other sources. We know that the Bible is the final authority, but this is, uh, I'm going to go old and new. There's, you know, there's no new problem under the sun. These are, these are points from uh, a Roman philosopher, Seneca. Um, so writing in the first century, he wrote a little book on um, anger, first century, and here's some of his points. These are some of the self-control mechanisms that help you. Number one, avoid frustrating situations by noting where you got angry in the past. So he says in the first century, avoid things that make you angry. Now, sometimes we don't do that well. Sometimes we get in front of the things that make us angry, and then we get angry, and then we're surprised why we get angry. One of the things that my kids used to do, they used to do it when we had Sky TV. We don't have Sky TV now, we have Virgin TV. One of the, you call it a blessing, you call it a burden, whatever you want, depending on your perspective, is one of the things is that there's only one kind of, I won't say Christian television channel, only one. Whereas in Sky there was quite a lot. And what my kids used to do was put it on and just go to these channels where it's just heresy on top, right? And I would get righteously annoyed. And they would see me getting more wound up, more wound up, more wound up. So now, whenever these channels come on, Claire's like, change the channel. Just don't do it. It's not worth it. You're going to get angry. Now, righteous anger, but still, getting angry. One of the things, I came off Facebook, and you know, you can do Facebook, that's your own personal choice. But it was just driving me nuts. Some of the stuff out there, and the theology, driving me mad. So I had to remove it. So this Roman philosopher in the first century says, just don't get into situations that make you angry. I think that's sound advice. Number two, reduce your anger by taking time, focusing on other emotions. So again, the Bible says, whatever things are true and lovely, think of those things. Number three, respond calmly to an aggressor with empathy or mild, unprovocative comments or with no response at all. Don't get into it, is what he says. Point four from this man of the first century. If angry, concentrate on the undesirable consequences of becoming aggressive. Think about where it's going to lead to or where it could lead to. You know, road rage for me was a big thing. I still have moments and flashes. Moments and flashes. But it's not as bad as it was. Oh dear, anyway. Let's not talk about that. It's not about me, it's about anger. But that can lead to some silly things. You've seen that in the news. Road rage argument. Next thing, somebody's getting stabbed there. Think about where it could lead to. Point number five. Reconsider the circumstances and try and understand the motives or viewpoint of the other person. So, again, be empathetic. Think about others. So he has these points. 
Then these are some points that are taken off a, a website. So modern. So we're, you know, we're going fast forward 3,000 years. And the modern website basically says the same thing in different words. Reduce your frustrations. It says, you know, one of the things that can help, I think, with anger is, is announce that you're having a bad day. Sometimes we have bad days. But we're not good at telling other people that we're having a bad day. They just find out about it when they get in the other end of our anger, right? So one of the things we can do is say, do you know what? I'm having a bad day today. It helps. helps. Deal with it. But basically, you know, the points are the same. Uh, you know, count to ten. Think about the consequences. Avoid the frustrations. All these things that we can do and apply as we think about anger through self-control. But ultimately, it is through sanctification that the problem will be dealt with. The closer we are to Christ, the more like Christ we are. Let me say that again. The closer we are to Christ, the more Christ-like we are. So the go deeper sheets that you take away, I'm going to, there's two questions in that I ask you. I want you to take them away and I want you to reflect on this. And question number one is, scale your anger from one to ten currently. Then the second question is, scale your closeness to Christ one to ten. And you will find, if you're honest and you're open, that those levels will never meet. They'll always be opposite. Always. Because the closer you go to Christ, the less angry you are. That's fact. The closer you are to Christ, the more like Him you are. And the more like Him you are, the more you'll put off anger and wrath and all of these things that the Word of God tells us to do because he did it perfectly. Perfectly. So the question was this morning, are you angry? And we started by thinking about those that let off steam, those that build up steam. The Bible doesn't condone either really. What it says is, put it off. And I'm talking about the unrighteous anger of men and women. Put it off. Do away with it. Allow God to change you. But that process of change, God will do it, but he wants you to move in it. You have to exercise your will in it. You can't just sit back and say, well, God hasn't took everything away from me. What's going on? It's me. Oh, dear. Oh, well. Does it make you angry? (laughs) (laughs) We've got to put on the fruit of the Spirit. But that takes walking in the Lord, surrendering ourselves as servants of righteousness. So what do we do, church? We follow the example of Christ, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. We've got to follow that example. Not let anger take us to a place that we don't want to go. We've got the example of Jesus. We've got the words of David that we read at the start and we'll finish with Psalm 37, verse 8. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any way or any wise to do evil. Church, let us cease from anger, forsake wrath. How? Present ourselves to God, allowing our minds to be renewed as we behold his glory revealed in his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning.
We thank you for the truth of your great salvation. But Lord, we know that sanctification is a process and it's not passive. We just don't sit back and let you work. We strive according to your power. That we are to be servants of righteousness. That as we walk in you, you change us. As we grow in our service, you change us. Lord, I, I look back in my own life and I thank you for how you've changed me. I'm not the person I was. I'm not the person I will be. But I thank you for the process of change in my life. And Lord, I confess at times that process has been hard, it's been difficult. Lord, I've had to see things in myself and my own character that haven't been pleasant. But I thank you for those times, Lord. And I pray for each and every one here, no matter where we are in our journey, that we would see where we're to be heading. I thank you, Lord, that you don't cast us away, you don't forget about us, that you're waiting, you're watching, and you're willing. So I pray, Lord, you encourage us all to think about our own anger. Are we angry? Has that anger got on top of us? Is it controlling us? Is it dominating us? Lord, we know the answer is to be more like you. To be more like you, Lord, we have to be in your word, in fellowship with you, and in service to the local church. That's how we grow. So Lord, I pray you would help us to grow, each and every one of us. Thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.